the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Apple of San Antonio mobile app. And I remind you every day we're on the show that if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a really good day in church yesterday. I pray that people got saved at your church. Every time somebody gets saved, it means we are one day or one person closer to Jesus coming back for his church. Um, We had some people give their heart to Jesus yesterday. So I uh, hope that happened at your place as well. And I uh, had a good day. Hey, quick uh, note. Uh, normally we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies on Monday night, just in case you're looking for it online. Uh, tonight there will be no. And tonight and next week, uh, we're getting through the crazy last two weeks of school. This is our final week of school. And so everything is sort of postponed while we're uh, getting all of our graduates graduated and our high schoolers and junior high schoolers promoted to the next grade. Um, so this week and next Monday night, there will be no next Monday, I think is Memorial Day. So our program won't even be live, but uh, no Bible studies on these two Mondays. Well, let's get right to questions. We've had a bunch of them sent in. Uh, We'd love your phone calls. Uh, Our first one is from Carlos from the Northeast side. Hi, Pastor Ron. I hope all is well with you. I have a question about how to ask Jesus or even if we're allowed to ask God for help when it comes to finances or how to manage the money he has provided for us. God bless you. Thank you, Carlos. I appreciate the question. It's always good to hear from you. Carlos has been writing in for a very long time, and it's good to hear from you. Uh, Carlos, of course it's okay to ask God to bless your finances, uh, to ask him questions about it, to, to open your Bible and dig in and see um, how to manage your finances. So, uh, yeah, that's something that we all ought to be doing. And I think the way to manage the money that he's provided for us, Carlos, is to simply realize that it all belongs to him. Now, I realize how radical that sounds. You know, we we like the idea of a tithe, you know, a tenth. Uh, Jesus, I got a dollar. I get 90 cents and you get 10 cents. But, but, That's really not what the Bible teaches us. Um, When it comes to finances, everything that you have belongs to him. He created you. He bought you out of your sin. Everything, 
according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, everything you have, everything you are or will be, belongs to him. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And when we call him Lord, we're making him the Lord over every single facet of our lives. And in this particular case, money being one of the important ones, simply because how you deal with your money, Carlos, shows where your heart really is. You know, if we look at our, and I'm going old school here, checkbook registers, if you look at your credit card statements, you'll see where your heart is because that's where you're spending your money. And God simply says, how about letting me be the Lord of your finances as well? And he will do a much better job of managing it than you do. So here's what we suggest here at Calvary Chapel, Carlos. With everything you get, say, Lord, look how much money you've got. And then prayerfully consider, what do you want me to do with it? And then we give to God with a cheerful heart. We don't give begrudgingly. We don't give under compulsion. We don't give because we feel guilty. We don't give, at least I hope we don't give, because we, we think we can convince God, if I give, you got to bless me even more. None of that is why we give. We give to God everything we are, everything we have, because he gave everything he had for us. Now, God's going to let you keep most of your money. He knows you have responsibilities. He knows you have bills. He wants you to be a good steward of those responsibilities. But recognizing that it belongs to him and seeking him on how much to give is the way to do it. Now, Carlos, the, the, the primary source for your giving is your local church. Wherever it is that you go to church, your local church ought to be the ministry that you are supporting. Uh, there are other things that you can do. Um, uh, certainly it, it's uh, yours until you, you surrender to the Lord. If he leads and directs you to give in other places, that's okay too. But give with a cheerful heart. Give because you love God. Give because he gave you grace. And the idea that we have to give him a tenth is certainly not a New Testament concept, not in the least. It's simply um, an easy way to limit what God is going to ask. And here's what I'm going to say. Whatever God asks, you give it to him, and he will bless the rest of it. You'll do more with what he leaves you with than you'll do with all of what you have. And this is just a matter of trust. Do you trust God? Are you a good steward over your finances? Are you living with too much debt? Those kinds of things. We want Jesus to truly be the Lord of our lives. Let me say one thing about debt, Carlos, since I just brought it up a second ago. Um, debt enslaves us. And debt is one of those things that if God were to say, Carlos, I want you to go to uh, Mexico and start a church, you couldn't go if you were loaded in debt. So let God have lordship over your finances. Offer it all to him. Use it for his glory. And I promise you, he'll bless those finances because that's who he is. So God wants to bless you. Last thought. We can't give with the wrong motive and expect a blessing. The man or the woman who says, well, I'm going to give to God and then he'll give more to me. That's not the right motive. The right motive is simple. I already said it a moment ago. We give to God everything because he gave everything for us. And we're so grateful that we belong to him. Good question, Carlos. Thank you very, very much for sending it in. Our next question is from Isabel from our mobile app. And she wants to know, what are my thoughts on Jonathan Kahn and his teachings? Um, Isabel, not a fan. He is a false teacher, a false prophet. Uh, his book, The Harbinger, which he uh, became sort of famous for, uh, is based on a, a faulty premise, and it's caused a lot of people to stumble. So I'm not a fan of Jonathan Kahn at all. Uh, I think he is, um, and I, I don't, I don't know him, so I, I wouldn't suggest um, what his motives might be. But uh, the Harbinger is is a book that's based on um, the false notion that that God has only two covenant people in the whole world, in the history of the world. Israel, of course, and we would all agree with that. But he says the United States is the other covenant people. And we're not the covenant people of God. 
And just that premise, that foundation that he's writing on, Isabel, uh, renders all of his conclusions false. Uh, so, no, he's not a good teacher, and it's not something that I think we should be reading. Uh, I don't tell people what to read or what not to read, but since you asked, he is not someone that I would consider trustworthy, uh, not at all. Here is a question from Kevin from our email inbox. Good day, Pastor On. Praying you are well. Thank you, Kevin. I'm well. I says, thank you for taking my question and reading Genesis 26, 39 through 40. Now, I think he means Genesis 27, but that's, that's okay. Uh, Genesis 26 doesn't have 39 verses in it. Uh, he's, he, King James says, Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above, and by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion Thou that thou shalt, I'm having a hard time with King James, that thou shalt break his yoke from off my neck. My question is, here's Kevin's question. Was Isaac talking about Jacob and Esau's future? It appears he was, because a sword to me, um, meaning uh, one will be more violent than the other. Can you please explain? I can do that. Let me get to that passage of scripture. Uh, this is uh, Isaac, and this is talking to a brother. Now, you'll remember that when the blessing was given to Jacob, Esau was whiny. You know, um, Esau said to his father, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. And here's where verse 39 starts. And Isaac, his father, his father Isaac, answered him. And that's the passage. You know, one of the problems with this entire family is that they treated God's blessing like it was some sort of magical formula. And in, in begging for the blessing that he would say, um, Jacob stole. And, and certainly Jacob's motives were not honest. Uh, Jacob had a problem with the truth. Um, but, but Esau conveniently forgot here that he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. So Esau claims that Jacob took his blessing, but that's not true. He gave it away. And now, although it's too late, now he's finally sorry. So this isn't genuine repentance. And that's one of the reasons um, why um, Isaac uh, pronounces this uh, prophetic future for him. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, seven, verse, chapter 12, verse 17 comments on this. It said, afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he, speaking of Esau, was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. They weren't tears of repentance. Uh, they were tears of rumors, uh, of I'm sorry, of remorse, of regret. Uh, Esau was angry that things uh, didn't work out the way he wanted them. So there's no mention at all uh, of Esau accepting responsibility for his future. So um, he's speaking to Esau, and he's simply questioning that um, there's got to be another way, and there's not going to be another way. So that's all. He's speaking strictly about Esau's future, and as you know, it's pretty bleak. Thank you for the question, Kevin. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app this time, anonymously. Uh, and the uh, listener wants to know, is the Lutheran Church biblically sound? I'm told it is a safe alternative to the Catholic Church. I'm considering attending one and still see a lot of similarities when I watch online. Thank you for the great information you provide on the radio show. Anonymous, my pleasure to do that, and thank you for the question. Uh, obviously, I think the Lutheran Church has all kinds of doctrinal issues. Um, the similarities that you saw between the Catholic Church, uh, I'm assuming that's your past, uh, are intentional. You know, when Luther broke away, uh, from the Catholic Church, he didn't really want to leave the Catholic Church. He just wanted the the, the justification by by faith uh, to be to be um, doctrinally correct, and and he had to step outside the Catholic Church to do that. And that's the the history. Now I don't know why you want a safe alternative to Catholic Church. The liturgy, the emphasis on the uh, body and the blood of Jesus being literal. 
um, the, 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 the lack of solid Bible teaching. Um, I'm just not a fan of the Lutheran Church. Now, they are doctrinally orthodox. Uh, there isn't anything they believe that would set them apart from true believers in Jesus Christ. But, and I'm going to upset people, and please don't take this personally, but you just don't find a lot of Lutheran churches where um, the, the body there are, are just really, really zealous for Jesus. It's more of a religious approach to what God always intended to be a relationship. And so uh, I think, is it biblically sound? No. Uh, but I also want you to understand they are orthodox. They are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, I just think the emphasis, the the, the way they do service, um, sort of the the easy treatment of scriptures. You know, you won't you won't be taught the Bible. Uh, you'll be told um, little stories and little gospel presentations. Um, but there's really not an emphasis on. Uh, surrendering your body, surrendering all of you to Jesus Christ. And I don't think a church is biblically sound if they're not giving you the opportunity to use your gifts uh, and if, they, if they're not exhorting you to be engaged in everyday service. Uh, the Lutheran Church is big on vocational uh, service for the Lord. You know, while I'm serving God at my job, and while that's true, we also need to serve the body of Christ. So anonymous, um, uh, it's better than the Catholic Church. Catholic Church's doctrine is uh, horribly wrong. Uh, the Lutheran Church's doctrine is only slightly wrong. I would ask you to consider finding a church where the doctrine is right, where you go into a church and see life, where people are opening their Bibles and turning pages. You will not see that in a Lutheran church where people are engaged in serving the other brothers and sisters in the Lord, where people are growing and where people are getting saved. It's one of the problems with denominational churches. There's no emphasis on you need to be saved. So that's my opinion, uh, but uh, you're right. The Lutheran Church is better than the Catholic Church for sure. 3409585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Diana from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, what do you say to a friend whose husband left her last year? There's another woman, but my friend wants him back. He said he didn't want to return home and told her to file for divorce. Uh, I think, Diana, it's pretty simple to, to, to the, the Bible says, uh, Paul writing, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. And the idea is, why do you want to be burdened with an unbelieving man if he doesn't want anything to do with you? Now, if he's an unbeliever and he's willing to stay with you, then yes, stay with him. But but here's a man who's broken the marriage vow. Here's a man who um, obviously isn't saved, needs Jesus, and yet uh, she wants him back. Uh, I would, uh, Diana, I'm, I'm a, I know you're a Christian, you're listening to this program. Uh, I, I would share that God has a plan for her. And I know her heart is broken. I know these things cause all kinds of pain and difficulty. Uh, but to share your husband with another woman is simply uh, not an acceptable course of life. Um, if he tells you he wants to leave and told you to file for divorce, um, then go ahead, Diana, and do that. And do it with the freedom, the freedom eventually to remarry if the Lord brings somebody into your life. But here's what you're going to find, and, and this is really hard for people to, to understand. Uh, I've just seen it so many times. You're going to find that when the unbeliever leaves and you're free to fall in love with Jesus, your life gets so much better so very quickly in the process. So don't look for a husband who doesn't want you. Turn to your husband in heaven who wants just you. And Diana, that's what I would say to her, and uh, I would encourage her and pray for her. Um, I hope and pray that she's actively involved in a church, a Bible-believing, a Bible-teaching church. Um, but tell her to get involved. 
in church. Get her mind off of what she doesn't have and introduce her to what she does have. If she doesn't have a church, take her to yours. But help this woman get back um, in the position where she's serving the Lord and Jesus is there with her. Um, He will be more than enough for her. And I suspect that she doesn't really know that. I'm not suggesting she's not saved. I don't know. But I suspect that she's really not aware of how precious she is, how much God loves her, and the wonderful plan he has for her. So if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. And I don't mean this to sound harsh, but it really is a good riddance sort of thing because now she's unencumbered to follow Jesus. So her falling in love with Jesus now is the most important thing you can help her accomplish. She is a good friend, Diana. Thank you for being so concerned. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We have David from Shirts on Line 1. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Somebody I know and you know left his phone at home, and she had to (laughs) take the question. I don't know if you've already answered it, but I'd still kind of like to uh, ask you the question, only because it's not because I have a problem with it. It's because I'm not sure how to answer people and make them understand that this is not a, a big problem anyway. But in Second Samuel 24, at the end, it talks about how much David paid for the, uh, uh, the place to have an altar after mm-hmm. uh, you know he had had the, the men, the army counted basically, uh, and it says that he paid 50 shekels of silver, and, and this was in my reading this morning. And then in First uh, uh, Chronicles, oh, probably 20. Uh, I'm not sure which one. Yeah, in First Chronicles is 21. Then it says, yeah, okay, then it says uh, uh, 600 shekels of gold. Now, I don't give a hoot, because the, the problem <laughs> with me is I'm looking at, like, sometimes silver is more valuable way back when, sometimes gold is, and sometimes gold is so plentiful it's like nothing. So I'd just like to know how I can answer folks. And if you don't mind, if if Sam, if Sam is still there, uh, just want to shout out to him, and okay. also to tell everybody there I love them and we miss them very much. Thank I'm you, David. Try and listen on the radio. So give okay. me two seconds to switch back over. Okay, okay. you got Bye. it, David. Thank you very much. It's always always so good to hear uh, from you, David. Just to know that you're doing well is a is a blessing. This is not. Uh, as some people will point out, I found a contradiction in the Bible. This isn't one of them. Now, um, just to restate what David said, when David offered to buy the oxen and the threshing floor for um, a sacrifice in an altar to the Lord, this is when uh, David counted the troops, took the census of the fighting men of Israel, and this is the greatest sin in David's life. Um, well, Second Samuel states that uh, he paid with 50 pieces of silver. Um, we, we know that that was the price for the oxen and the threshing floor. So there's no problem with that. Um, um, the 600 shekels of gold would be really, really badly overpaying for just the threshing floor for David's sacrifice and for the oxen that was going to be sacrificed as well. So what happens in the First Chronicles passage, it tells us that he played, paid 600 shekels of gold. And the translations say two different things. One says for the place. Another says for the site. In, in verse 25 of First Chronicles 21. Um, and, and that is more than just paying for the oxen and the threshing floor. Uh, Aaron would have possessed a large uh, piece of ground, and so David entered into negotiations uh, a second time with him over the entire piece of ground. Now, let me tell you why that is so important. This ground... Uh, on Mount Moriah would be so valuable uh, in the future because this is uh, the site of Solomon's temple. 
So he wasn't buying just the threshing floor and the oxen. David, after making the sacrifice, he offered to pay. Now, we're talking, this is like um, in, in, in money back then, it had been like $100,000. And, um, uh, of course, that price would be extreme now. But he paid that for the entire piece of property or for the entire lot. And and uh, the reason that matters so much is because that is the 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 very place where Solomon's temple would be built. So David was being led by the Spirit of God, certainly. Uh, David was a generous man. Uh, the best part about this story is Aaron um, uh, offered to um, give him all of it for free. And David's famous response was, I will not give that to the Lord, which costs nothing. And so he made his sacrifice to the Lord. Um, he trusted the Lord with the with the punishment for his sin. Uh, and then when it was done, he went back to Aaronah and bought more property. And uh, later God would use that property. So good, good question, David. Thank you very, very much. And thanks for calling. It's always good to hear your voice and know that you're well. And Sam is here and he heard your response. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585 for your live calls. Here's a question from our email inbox. It is also anonymous. Um... He or she says, do you think that the three apostles who were present at Jesus' transfiguration would have come down the mountain with a glow like Moses had when he came down the mountain after seeing God? Anonymous, I don't think so. Um, and when I, I, I actually mentioned in the study on the uh, yesterday following the transfiguration that uh, they're probably still glowing from their experience, but I didn't mean that in a physical sense. So no, I don't think that they had a glow. Um, certainly, if they would have come down the mountain uh, with their face glowing or shining like Moses' face was, um, Jesus wouldn't have been able to tell them, now don't tell anybody what happened up here, because everybody would have known something happened and they couldn't have avoided it. But no, I don't think so at all. They did not see the full glory of God. They didn't see, um, um, you know, Moses couldn't see the full glory of God either, but just the backside of of God's glory sort of passed, the afterglow of God's glory passed them by. And in the presence of the Lord, it affected Moses physically. So no, I, I don't believe uh, that it affected Peter, James, and John. I think if it had, those details would have been included in one of the three Gospels that talks about the Transfiguration. Uh, so no, I don't think they did at all. But But here's the best thing about the Transfiguration for Peter, James, and John. Now we know that James was the first of the Apostles uh, who were martyred for their faith. Um, James would have certainly had that moment on that mountain where he saw the glory of God, the kingdom of God come in glory. Um, it would have been his motivation to die. Uh, he wouldn't have been afraid. It would have been uh, something that was so real to him that he would have accepted uh, God's will for his life. We also know that for both John and Peter, this was a life-transforming moment. It changed them forever because both of them mention it many, many years later, decades later, both of them mention it uh, in their epistles. Uh, we were with him on that sacred mountain. Um, uh, we saw his glory. John says we were eyewitnesses of his glory. So it was a life-changing event for all of them. So the physical glow, I don't think so. But the spiritual glow, I don't think it left any of the three of them until they went to meet Jesus. 
uh, in person. So thank you for the question. That's a good one. Here is a question. This one is from Anonymous also. Sorry. Also from our email inbox. Um, Hey, Pastor Ron, our study yesterday in Mark, speaking about demon possession was very encouraging. Um, You know, Anonymous, I I laugh because I've never been told that a Bible study about demonic uh, possession um, was encouraging. So thank you for that. I pray that it was. Um, And then he continues. He said, I encountered a similar situation that I had a question about. While I was out, I encountered a man that was demon-possessed. He was saying very violent and demonic things, and he had scars all over his face and body from him cutting and peeling his skin and hurting himself. People around us were scared, and I approached him and prayed for the demon to come out, and the demon came out. The man sat and talked with me afterwards. He was calm and now listening, so I went on to share the gospel with him. After sharing with him, he did not want to accept Jesus and went on his way. I understand the scripture says that when demons are cast out, if a person doesn't accept Christ, more demons will come back, and they're worse than before. I think I've also heard in a study you did a while back, you say that you don't cast out a demon unless that person was willing to accept Jesus. Maybe I misunderstood. If not, I'm questioning now if it was wrong for me to cast a demon out first before asking the man if he wanted to accept Christ. Or is every circumstance different? My heart is broken for the man as Jesus's is also. Can you please clear this up for me? Thank you. Let me thank you. I am so encouraged by your email. I'm encouraged because... um, Encountering demon-possessed people is so hard, and there's so much misery. I tried in yesterday's study to paint a picture of how miserable the demonic boy and his father's life were. And we need to remember that these people are being tormented, and you're absolutely right. No question this was demon possession um, when when they're cutting themselves uh, and, and, and mutilating themselves. Um, that, that's just a sure sign of demonic possession. And I'm grateful to you that you had the courage and that you loved Jesus enough to go tell him about Jesus. Now, I have said in the past that I don't ever pray to cast out a demon um, if somebody's not willing to hear me talk to him about Jesus. Um, um, you know, demons lie. That's the one thing that we got to remember. We're talking to a man possessed by a demon and it's a demon that's communicating with you. Uh, I believe that there is a moment when, when if somebody is demon-possessed and I let them know that that, uh, I, that that unless I cast out, or if I cast out the demon, if they don't accept Jesus, things are going to be much worse for them. The Bible says, Jesus himself, that it goes and gets seven demons more stronger than itself, and and uh, the the last state of man is worse than the first. And I don't want anybody to be in worse situation. But God has always provided me the opportunity to talk to the person rather than the demon. And so I can address the person. I'll get a name from him and and talk to him and just say, look, I want you to know that I can cast this demon out. However. If you don't accept Jesus Christ, then he's just going to come back with more demons and it's going to be worse. And if they say, no, I'm not interested in hearing about Jesus, well, then I just tell them, well, then I'm sorry. I'll be praying for you. So personally, I don't want to leave anybody in a worse situation. But I also think it's important for you to note that you're right. Every situation is different. And clearly you were in the spirit, being led by the spirit. And this isn't something that you have to second guess. You did what the Spirit wanted you to do in this particular case. The demon came out. The man had a little bit of time of relief. And he was able to communicate with and tell him about the gospel. So he, just like everybody else, is without excuse. So I don't think there's a wrong way or a right way. The way I do it might be different than this, but I don't think you did anything wrong at all. And I'm so blessed and encouraged that that while everybody else was afraid of this guy, you would go up and talk to him. This shows great faith. It shows great compassion for people, as does your statement that your heart is broken for this man. 
Um, you just keep doing what you're doing. And God bless you for um, for having enough faith and for caring enough about this man to do what most people around him wouldn't do. Thank you for that. God bless you. Here's a question from Kirby from our email inbox. Just a comment, he, she says. Psalm 12 seems to be very appropriate to the times that we live in here in this country and in the world. The eighth verse and the, fi- the final verse is especially profound in its meaning. The wicked freely strut about when what is a what is vile is honored among men. Um, and then he says, or she says, to me it's the cancel culture, CRT, LGBTQ, the relentless push to be inclusive to the, de- to the detriment of all other things. Um, let me just read the psalm for you because it's it's so today. Um, the psalmist writes, Help, O Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have banished from among men. They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and a double heart. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. They say, with our tongues we will prevail. With We own our lips. Who can be our master? For the cause of the oppressed and for the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will bring safety to him who yearns. The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace, like gold purified sevenfold. You, O Lord, will keep us. You will forever guard us from this generation. The wicked wander freely, and the vileness is exalted. I'm sorry, and vileness is exalted among men. Um, you know, that is thousands of years old, that song. And it uh, it applies perfectly to the very time that we live in. Now, I don't want to go off on CRT or LGBTQ. All we have to do is remember sin. Sin is everywhere. Isaiah chapter 5 says that the people, and he's talking about the people in Israel who are proud of their sin. Isaiah didn't know that he would be describing a time in 2022 where that same thing is happening. He said they, 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 they pulled their sin behind them with cords of deceit in the public square. In other words, they're proud of it. Think about a gay pride parade. We're proud of our sin. Our nation, Kirby, has lost the ability to blush. We're, we've lost the art of being shamed, uh, ashamed when we should be ashamed. And um, this psalm is simply saying to us, um, God's got us. Uh, we live in a different time than David did, but God's got us, and all we have to do is focus on our service for him. The ministry that we have in these last days is more important than almost anything uh, else that we, we do, so we need to stay focused on this. Uh, God will guard us. That doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It just means that like James... I told you in the previous question was the first apostle, apostle to be martyred for his faith. Um, we who are Christians, especially in the United States of America, we need to toughen up. We need to set our minds and our hearts on things above where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question, this time from Teresa. She says, Pastor Ron, do you have any comment on the report just released about sexual abuse cover-up within the SBC? That's the Southern Baptist Convention, and yes, I have read about it. It was uh, It's pretty big news, um, but you know what? It doesn't surprise anybody. Now, that's the real tragedy here, Teresa. It doesn't surprise anybody. You know, say so you've got a church of 5,000 people, and God is doing a great work, and then you've got this horrible news about somebody who's been sexually abused. We don't want to do anything about it because we don't want the word to get out because we're going to try to protect the work. We only protect the work when we're protecting the people of God. And we're protecting the work when we're dealing with sin, not covering it up. We protect the work when we're more concerned about the victim than in somehow protecting whatever work that we think we value or that God values more than he values the victims. And the SBC, um, there was a big series of news articles uh, last year, I think it was early last year, 
um, where the cover-up was starting to come about. It was a, a, a story done by the Houston Chronicle. And, um, you know, nobody really denied it, but at the same time, no, none of the leaders of the SBC really embraced it now because of this report uh, after the study. Um, they They simply can't deny it. So let me just say this, that that we have to deal according to holiness with the people in our church. God is the one who protects our church. We don't have to protect it. And we've lost our way when we begin valuing the church in general more than we value the individuals who make up the church. We are accountable. The SBC is accountable. The SBC is going through some really difficult times. The SBC has, has, uh, is now, I think, more than 50% reformed or Calvinist in their theology. Uh, the SBC was hurt uh, by the, the large numbers of churches that closed down during the pandemic and they simply haven't come back. And sometimes I just think it's God saying, look, if you'd have done what you were supposed to do, I would have protected you. And we try to protect something to no avail. So, yeah, Teresa, that's the comment I have. Um, covering up abuse, covering up sin from the pulpit is um, a sure way to destroy a work of God, not to protect it. Hope that makes sense to you, Teresa. Thank you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Jerry says, a woman I knew to be a Christian has left her husband to embrace her new life as a lesbian. Uh, Jerry wants to know, was she ever really saved? Um, Jerry, that's between her and God. Uh, here's what I can tell you. If she ever really was saved, she still is. But if that's the case, she is... Um, desperately out of fellowship with Jesus Christ. And then she's got to deal with 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians chapter 5, where the Bible says people who live like she's living will not inherit the kingdom of God. So um, rather than, than wonder whether or not she's a Christian or whether she was really saved or whether she lost her salvation or gave her salvation away, I think our focus needs to be on praying for this woman uh, and and uh, and for her soul, when people are acting like unbelievers, I always treat them and pray for them like unbelievers. It doesn't mean I'm mean to them. It means I want them to get saved, so I'm going to tell them about Jesus. But a lot of times, Jerry, people like this say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just embracing my new life as a lesbian because that's the real me. Um, typically, a person like that is not met with Jesus Christ. So what we want to do is introduce her to Jesus. So that's all we can do. But the the, the wrestling that we do, of whether or not somebody was saved because they said they were saved or because they went to church for a time um, and then uh, fell away, um, all I can tell you is that anybody who's really saved, the Holy Spirit is given to us, Ephesians 1 says, as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So if this woman is really born again and she's living in rebellion against God, her life is going to be impossibly difficult. And God is going to do whatever he has to do to bring her back to him before she goes to be with him. Uh, If she's not saved, uh, she just found something else she liked better. And um, and she's going to, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Jerry, I hope that makes sense to you. I I don't want to sound harsh, but um, remember, anybody who ever really was saved still is saved. Um, and many times those people are walking away from the Lord. And um, if they're walking away from the Lord, it doesn't look like they're saved. Uh, but it doesn't mean they lost it. What God gave us and protects in us, we can't lose. And we've got to trust God to bring these people back to him. Martin says, uh, Pastor on Romans 10 says, we need only to confess Jesus to be saved. I heard you disagree with that. Can you explain? Yeah, Martin, Romans 10 says that, that if you believe that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth 
that he's risen from the dead, then you're saved. But remember the words, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, you can't really believe he's Lord if you're not doing what he says. So there's nothing about the words that we say that come out of our mouth. There's nothing about that that that, that has any value in saving us at all. Uh, What saves us is accepting Jesus Christ as Lord. And then because God raised him from the dead, we know he's alive and he becomes the center of our lives. So Romans 10 isn't just one of those things that says, well, all you have to do is say Jesus is Lord. No, he has to be your Lord. That's what it is. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. In other words, it's easy to do that if Jesus really is your Lord. But if you just say it, because, well, Romans 10 says all I do is say it, that's not really a a born-again experience at all. So, Martin, that's why I disagreed uh, with that comment. It's it's not that... um, Paul and I have a very personal connection with this. We had a a friend, a guy used to work for me, and um, we went over to visit him. We were in in, uh, Arizona where he lived, and our son, our oldest son, Ronnie, was with us. And um, my friend uh, just asked Ronnie, so are you, are you a Christian? Are you saved? And Ronnie said, well, I say yes, but my dad would probably disagree. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm not a Christian like my dad thinks I should be. And he said, well, do you believe Jesus is Lord? Yes. Okay, say it with your mouth and you're saved. That settles it. And I got really upset with him because that didn't settle anything. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I tell you to do? Um, There has to be a transformation of the heart, Martin, in order to be saved. It's not something you just say with your mouth. It's something you have to believe in your heart. And the idea there is that changes who you are. So I hope that makes sense. Mike says, uh, will you please talk about evidence for the Bible being true? Um, Mike, it's one of my favorite things to talk about, and I could do it for an hour, but I won't. Um, But let me say this. Um, This is a question that you have to find the answer for for you. I'm going to answer your question, but this is something that each and every Christian has to be personally convinced of. The world is going to shout the Bible down. They are shouting the Bible down. Uh, The enemy... Uh, and the world around us is going to conspire to try to get us to doubt what the Word says and how true it is. There's all kinds of so-called uh, critical thinking scholars who have come to the conclusion that the Bible really doesn't say what it means and doesn't mean what it says. Uh, the parts about Jesus, well, he only said this much or that much. Um, you got to find out, Mike, for yourself. It's the most important thing I can tell any Christian. Uh, It is the one thing that changed my life forever. Um, I got saved. I I wasn't raised in church. I'd never opened a Bible. As we start our walk with the Lord, I was so curious. I had questions. And every time I'd ask a question, somebody, well, the Bible says, the Bible says. And it just made sense to me. I said, well, if everybody's reason for believing something is the Bible says, I have to know if I can trust this Bible. And I began the process right then and there of, of deciding whether or not the Bible was true. Now, it, took all, it took study. Now, I, I know people make a lifelong uh, mission of this. For me, it took a little over two and a half months Uh, And I was completely convinced. So that's the decision you've got to make. Since that day, Mike, I've never had a moment's difficulty believing that I was saved. I'm going to heaven. I never doubted Jesus' love for me. Nothing at all. So the evidence you want, the evidence is overwhelming. Um, The acronym MAPS. Uh, Mike is is what I use the manuscript evidence. We have more manuscript evidence for the Bible uh, than we do for any other piece of literature in the history of literature. Um, Homer's Iliad is second, and it's it's a, such a distant second. We have thousands and thousands of manuscripts. We don't have any of the original manuscripts or autographs. 
but we've got so many manuscripts that are so consistent that we can sit together with those manuscripts and come up with the Bible as we have it. So the manuscript evidence is overwhelming. The archaeological evidence is also overwhelming. Um, We keep finding things. People, for years, dismiss the Bible as being the Word of God because of of Nineveh. There was never any evidence that the city of Nineveh existed. And then Nineveh, and this is just one example of many, um, then the archaeologists found it. I mean, how can a city of over half a million people uh, just disappear? And yet now they've found the foundations of that, and that's just, again, one of many um, pieces of overwhelming archaeological evidence. For me, most important is the prophetic nature of the Bible. The Bible is the only religious book that um, tells the future, or even attempts to tell the future. Uh, the Koran doesn't, uh, Buddha didn't, Confucius didn't, uh, Joseph Smith didn't, nobody, just our Bible Not only did it tell the future, but it tells the future with specificity and with 100% accuracy of all of the prophecies in the Bible. Uh, Roughly 95% of them come true exactly as prophesied. And, And we can assume the others deal with Jesus' second coming and they will be fulfilled as well. And then the third, the fourth piece of evidence is spiritual evidence. You read the Bible and you change. You change. It's that simple. So, Mike, the Bible is the Word of God, but you are the one that has to be convinced. It can't be based on what I know. It's it's just something, it has to be so important to you that you make it the single focus of your life until that moment comes. And it will. Until that moment comes when you just know for sure and you'll never again have any doubt. It was at that moment where my life changed so radically And I've never had a doubt since then. Hey, thank you for the questions and thanks for tuning in. Uh, You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.